so we continue with the series on man, the image of God. Um, and we've had a look at uh, two aspects of that up to now. We've had a look at the fact that uh, man is made up of various parts. He has, the scripture reveals to us, there is an inward man and there is an outward man. Our outward man is our physical bodies and our inward man is made up of different parts. And uh, the various parts that we've uh, identified in the scriptures is in fact that man, the inward man, is made up of a will. He has a will. Uh, he has a conscience. Uh, he has a spirit, and he has a soul, which is the mind. And um, we've looked at in the previous uh, two series of teachings so far, thus far, we've looked at the will of man, and we've looked at the conscience of man. And in this particular series of teachings, we're looking at the part of man uh, called the spirit. Um, which is really the uh, essential part of man. It is uh, the main part of man that uh, God has created. Um, obviously, all every part of man makes up the whole man, and not one part can function without it, uh, the other part um, doing its bit. But the, the center of man is the spirit of man, and that is what we're looking at um, in this series of teachings and we, we touched on it in, in the previous teaching, we touched on the fact that uh, the spirit of man is in fact an eternal creation of God. Now we saw that the whole inward man is in fact an eternal creation of God. For when we depart from these bodies to be with Christ, it is our will, our conscience, our soul and our spirit, that whole inward man that departs to be with Christ. But nevertheless, we, um, the scripture does show us that the spirit and the soul can be separated. The will is a, has its own function. Uh, the conscience also has its own function. So each one of these, these separate parts of our inward man um, has a different role to play. And it's important for us, we saw in scripture, for us to identify the various parts as revealed to us in the New Testament. Because all of this revelation really comes to us in the New Testament. The Old Testament saints didn't have access to this kind of revelation that we have access to. Um, for it is only under the New Covenant that our Lord has made these truths uh, available to us so that we can walk in them. And so, yeah, we saw that it's important for us to understand the various parts of man and also to understand what role and what function each part plays because we are then able to more accurately um, interpret scripture because there are scriptures that can be confusing if we do not understand that the scripture is referring to a certain part of man and not the whole of man. I'm not going to get into that in any kind of depth today. But that helps us to understand scripture and it also helps us to um, understand, understand ourselves how we function and how God has in fact called us to function and what we can do um, in our walk with the Lord to ensure that we in fact do walk as God has intended us to walk as God in fact has created us to walk. And so yeah, we saw that the spirit of man is in fact an, an eternal creation. We saw that these physical bodies uh, are not designed to last for all eternity. They are mortal and uh, these bodies will all die. Um, we will all receive one day our resurrected bodies. Those the Bible refers to as our heavenly dwellings and they are immortal in nature. 
and incorruptible. And we will enter into those uh, eternal dwellings when our Lord Jesus Christ returns to the earth. And obviously we will remain inside our eternal dwellings for the rest of eternity. But until that happens, these um, mortal bodies are the tents that our inward man resides inside. And we said that um, when we look, walk around on this earth, we only see the outward man, the outward man being the physical bodies that we dwell in. We don't see the inward man. Um, but nevertheless, every single uh, physical body on the planet requires an inward man to be living on the inside of it in order for that physical body to have life. And the, the scripture we saw was that uh, the body without the spirit is dead in James chapter 2 verse 26. Uh, there were other scriptures we looked at, but that one just kind of highlights the truth for us, that these bodies require a spirit to be residing on the inside of them in order for them to have life. Now we said it doesn't matter what state the spirit is in, um, and we're going to elaborate on that particular point today in today's teaching, but uh, <clears throat> the, the scripture does teach us that uh, there is spiritual, those who are spiritually dead and those who are spiritually alive walking around on the planet. But the bodies of both are physically alive. And so it matters not what state the spirit is in. All that is required in order for these physical bodies to have life is for a spirit to be residing on the inside of these bodies. And, and so when the spirit leaves these bodies, these bodies then drop down dead. They have no more life in them and they can no longer function. And uh, they eventually decay and return to dust. And so today we want to um, go further on the teaching of the, the spirit of man. And we want to look at the topic of, uh, called spiritual life and spiritual death. Because we kind of alluded to it in the previous teaching, that, and I've just mentioned it now, that our physical bodies require a spirit to be residing on the inside of these bodies. But... Um, the state of that spirit is not an, an issue as to whether these bodies can live or not. But uh, there is in fact a case of, on this earth today, two different states of spirits that are living on the earth. And um, the two different states are, is either spiritual death or spiritual life. And so the spirit of man can only exist in one of two states. And that is either death or life. It cannot. There's no. There's no third option available to the spirit of man. And so, every single person alive on the earth today is either spiritually alive or spiritually dead. And we'll get our minds around the spiritual, spiritually dead side of things because, again, the, the natural thinking kicks in, and people tend to think one who is spiritually dead means that their spirits are, you know. Don't, not don't exist, but they, they're just there. They just lie there. And they, there's no response to, uh, from them because they are spiritually dead. But that's not the case at all. Um, we'll have a look at it, what the Scripture teaches us about that. But nevertheless, on this planet today, every single person that is living on the earth, I'm talking about natural life now, has inside their physical bodies a spirit, that is in one of two conditions. Either that spirit is alive or that spirit is dead. And uh, we'll, we understand from Scripture that it is 
the spirits of the believers that are alive and the spirits of the unbelievers are in fact dead. And so that is the only um, option available to the, the human spirit to either be spiritually alive or to be spiritually dead. And uh, a scripture we can look at is in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. The scripture says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so that's the picture of what we were like before we were born again, before we were saved. The scripture says we were dead in trespasses. And so every unbeliever, every person who is not born again, is spiritually dead. Now obviously that passage of scripture is not talking about physical death because none of us, before we were saved, were physically dead. Uh, we were still physically alive and we remained physically alive after we were saved. Our, our natural life didn't change, but our spiritual life did. Because before we were saved, we were dead in trespasses. In other words, our spirits were dead in trespasses. But God made us alive together with Christ. And so when we were born again, when we were saved, our spirits God made alive. So our spirits were dead before we were saved. When we were saved, our spirits were made alive by God in Christ Jesus. And so that is the two different states of the spirit of man that is living on the earth today. Now obviously the, the spirit of man that goes to heaven remains alive. The spirit of man that goes to hell remains dead. Um, and we discussed that in the previous teaching, that to be absent from this body uh, uh, for believer is to be present with the Lord, and for the unbeliever to be absent from this body is to be in torment in hell. And those are the two locations that the spirit of man goes to after these physical bodies die. And so, you know, that spiritual state of man doesn't change. The location changes, but not the state. On this planet, when we walk around on this earth, the spiritual state of man, as we've said, is in one of two conditions, either in spiritual death or in spiritual life. Those who are in Christ are in spiritual life. Their spirits have been made alive. Those who are outside of Christ, their spirits are dead. And we'll have a look at a better understanding of what it means to be spiritually alive and what it means to be spiritually dead, because those terms can be confusing if we think of it from a natural viewpoint, because when we look, think of life and death in the, in the natural, life to us is a person walking around living and breathing. Death is somebody in the grave, and that's how our, our natural understanding of life and death. However, in the spirit, it's, complete, it's not that at all. Um, and so we will have a look at that uh, so that we can get clarity on that. And we can then more clearly understand how it is possible that on the earth today you have people walking around um, physically alive but spiritually dead at the same time. Um, because they, in the natural that, con that concept doesn't quite make sense to us. Uh, we kind of get it that one who is physically alive can also be spiritually alive. That uh, we uh, our natural thinking kind of grasps. But the other side... It doesn't go off. The reason for that is because, as I say, spiritual death and spiritual life is completely different uh, concepts 
to physical death and physical life, and that we'll understand as we go through it. But just to confirm some more scripture along the line that um, the state of man on the earth, um, all unbelievers are spiritually dead. Their spirits um, do not have the life of God in them. They are they have the the, na the nature of death in them. And I've alluded to what spiritual death is there. And the scripture we can look at is in Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 59. This is our Lord Jesus speaking. And he said, Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, This is the person our Lord was speaking to. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Verse 60. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And so he has a very vivid account for us explaining what spiritual death is because here our Lord has spoken to a young person he said I need you to follow me to go preach the gospel and the guy's quite keen to follow the Lord but he, his dad has just passed away his physical father, earth, earthly father has passed away and so he needs to go bury him so he said Lord let me just go bury my father and then I'm going to come follow you and so our Lord makes the comment he said let the dead bury their dead but you come follow me. So what is our Lord saying when he says, let the dead bury their dead? He's, he's identifying that every single person on the earth who is an unbeliever, who is not in Christ, is spiritually dead. And so our Lord is saying, let, the, let, let those who are spiritually dead bury those who are physically dead. Now, obviously, those who are spiritually alive also bury those who are physically dead. But that person, that, that body that they were burying, um, that particular individual, their spirit still existed, remember? We said that the spirit never ceases to exist. All that had happened to that, the spirit of that body that they were going to bury had departed and gone into, be, gone into Hades. And obviously our Lord confirmed that that person had gone to Hades, for our Lord said that they were spiritually dead. And so our Lord is just confirming to us the truth that every single person who is not a believer in Christ Jesus um, is spiritually dead. Their spirits have the nature of death. They do not have any life in them at all. There's no life there. And that's something we need to really understand. Um, and that there is a complete separation in the spirit between believer and unbeliever in that the one is has no life in it. The other one has no death in it. Um, and that is something that we need to understand. One more scripture we'll look at just to reinforce the truth, because uh, it, it's not a truth that is um, misunderstood in the church. The truth about spiritual death is maybe misunderstood, but the fact that unbelievers are spiritually dead is not really misunderstood in the church. And all believers are spiritually alive. But we just need to get the concept through. The other scripture is in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. The Apostle Paul writing, he says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. And so, again, that, it, 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 here the passage of Scripture is very clear to us that before we were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. When we get saved... God makes us alive together with Christ. 
having forgiven all our trespasses. And so, you know, one of the things that we really preach, and it gets preached preach quite often and taught a lot, is that when we come into the kingdom of God, we get forgiven all of our sins, and our sins are washed clean. And that is 100% true. All of our sins are washed away, and they're no longer remembered. God chooses to remember our iniquities and our sins no more, because they're all under the blood of the Lamb. But something that is not preached very strongly, which should be, in fact, preached very strongly, because it, it is such a vital truth, and that is that we are made alive. Our spirits are made alive once again. For Jesus said, you need to be born again. Um, and so in order to one for one to be born again, they had to be born once before in order to be born again. Otherwise, our Lord just would have had to say to us, you need to be born in spirit. Uh, but he didn't say that. He said, you need to be born again. Now, people have interpreted that to, interpreted that to mean, well, Jesus meant you, we get born naturally once, and then we, we get saved, we get born spiritually. But that's not what the Lord was saying at all. He's talking about spiritual birth when he said you need to be born again. And so... When there was a time when our spirits were alive, something changed that caused our spirits to die, and then we needed to be born again. And that is the spirit of man has to be made alive once again. The reason for that is because the spirit of all unbelievers is in a state of spiritual death, and that has to change. The, the spirit of man has to change, otherwise all that will happen is even if God had forgiven us all of our sins when we were saved, we would just go on straight out and sinned again. And, you know, nothing would have changed. That's why under the old covenant, things had, uh, you, you could get your sins forgiven, but you could never be born again. Because their spirits couldn't change. God couldn't do that. God could forgive them their sins, and, and that happened under the old covenant. Their sins were forgiven. But their spirits remained spiritually dead. They couldn't be born again. Under the new covenant, we can. And so when we get uh, born again, when we get saved, our, our sins are forgiven. Very true statement and a very um, important concept for us to realize. But also at the same time, our spirits are once again made alive. They were, they were dead and they became alive in Christ Jesus. And, and so that's a very important truth for us to understand with regards to the nature of our spirit. Now, it's only the spirit of man that is made alive when we are saved. Our will does not change. Um, remember, we talked about the inward man having four separate parts, the will of man, the conscience, the soul being our mind and our spirit. Of those four parts, it is only the spirit of man that changes. Uh, for the will remains exactly the same. The will is, uh, I, as we mentioned in the, in the series on the will, the will is neutral kind of because the will is just our decider. The will says, I will do that, I won't do that. But it, it has, you, you don't have an evil will and a good will. Um, we just have a will, a free will. That's what we have, a free will. God creates us with a free will. We make the choice how we're going to live. So our will doesn't change. We have a free will before we're born again. We have a free will after we're born again. 
Uh, our conscience also doesn't change. Uh, go back and look at the, listen to the teachings on the conscience. The conscience convicted us of sin before we were saved. The conscience con continues to convict us of sin after we're saved. And the conscience agrees with us doing what is good before we are saved, and it agrees with us doing what is good after we are saved. No change there. Also, the mind of man does not change. We don't get a new mind, a new soul, when we come into the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches us we need to renew our minds. And so all of our memories remain intact when we get saved. We don't now, because we are now saved, we've forgotten everything that happened before. Not at all. It, that all remains intact. And the Bible teaches us what to do about our minds, telling us we have to now renew our minds. No change there. The only part of man that changes uh, when we're saved is the spirit of man. For it is the spirit of man that is dead before we're saved, and it is the spirit of man that becomes alive in Christ after we're saved. And so it is a radical transformation that takes place. Um, in that our spirits are tran uh, transformed from death into life. They become life. They were death, they now become life. And so that is a very important concept that needs to be taught in the church and emphasized because the, the, the spirit of man is, is really where the transformation takes place in the life of the believer. And we really need to concentrate on our spirit if we're going to walk this Christian walk because this Christian walk is a spiritual walk it is not a natural walk we walk it out in the natural but we live from the spirit um, and so it's so important for us to understand and when we come into the kingdom that it is our spirits that are made alive and so every unbeliever on the, on the planet their spirits are dead and every believer on the planet, their spirits are alive. And all of us who have become born-again believers have transitioned from being spiritually dead to being made spiritually alive. So what does it mean to be alive in spirit? Let's have a look at a scripture. Um, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4. The scripture says, and speaking of our Lord Jesus, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And so the nature of God is life. In him was life. And God is, you know, God is love. Uh, that's one aspect of the nature of God. But the very essence of God is life and light. And look what it happens here. The scripture says, in him was life. And the life, what life? The life of God was the light of men. So what does that mean? It means that God's life imparts His life to us. Men are born of the light and the life of God. Remember in the epistles of John, the Bible, John teaches us, this is the message we've heard from Him, we share with you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Um, James talks about the fact that um, there's no shadow of turning in God. So no matter which way God turns, He just radiates light. For He is perfect light. And in Him is no darkness at all. There's no, no darkness can come into the presence of God. And the light and the life of God are one and the same. And so the life of God is the very nature of God. It's the essence of who God is. 
God is life. God is light. And God imparts and can only impart life and light. And so when God creates, especially we're talking about the spirit of man, he creates the spirit of man with life and light, his life and his light. For the scripture says, in him was life, in, that's in Christ Jesus, and the life, that life was the light of men. And so men, mankind receives their life from God, their light from God. Their, our spirits are born of God. And uh, we, we'll get to that particular point. You remember when our Lord Jesus was on the earth, he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And that's in John 10, 10. And so that is what Jesus came. He came to impart life to men because men, mankind was spiritually dead and man needed the life and light of God. And so Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. The abundant life that he's speaking about is the, in fact the life of God. The, 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 the Greek translation of that word life is zoe, which is, can be, it, it's, it is the life of God. It's not natural human life. It is divine life. It is God's nature. It's his life. Let's have a look at another scripture that will help us to uh, understand what it means that God is life. And that his nature is life and light. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. The scripture says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to what? To life and godliness. Now the life he's talking about is the life of God. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these, through these great and precious promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption or death that is in the world through lust. And so we partake of the life of God when we're born again. We are made alive in Christ. We receive God's life. Now what is that? It is we become partakers of His divine nature. And that is what the life of God is. It is who God is. It's His nature. And so being spiritually alive, when our spirits are made alive in Christ, what that means is is that our spirits take on the divine nature of God. Our spirits become like God. The Apostle Peter spoke about the fact that we're born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Now, incorruptible is the nature of God. God cannot be corrupted. And so we're born of that seed, the seed of God, has been uh, planted in our hearts and it brings forth the fruit. And so we partake of the very nature, divine nature of God when we are made alive in Christ. And so that is really what being spiritually alive means. It means that our spirits have now been transformed to partake of the divine nature of God. Because God in Him was life and He has imparted His life to us. It's our spirits that are made alive. Our spirits are born again. 
and our spirits have now become the partakers of God's nature. That is their natural state. Their natural state, the, the, the condition before we became spiritually alive was that of spiritual death. And when we became spiritually alive, God transitioned us from being spiritually alive to spiritual, uh, spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. What that meant is our spirits now became partakers of who He is. And we became partakers of His divine nature. And so when we're born again, um, it is our spirits that display the nature of God. There's no other part of man that displays the nature of God. Now, it's through the rest of our, the, the other parts of, of, of man that we are able to work it out. But the, the source is in our spirits. For that is where the life of God resides, in our spirits. And our spirits have now become partakers of His life and of His nature. Now, because of that, it is our spirits that produces the fruit of God, the, the fruit of, the, the, of, of who God is. For Remember the Bible teaches that God is love. We, we saw that God is light, God is also love. And the very first fruit of the spirit of the born-again human spirit is what? It's love. Now, it is the fruit, the, the, the fruit of the human spirit, born again now, that produces, uh, the, the human spirit is what produces the fruit. It's not the, it's not the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. For it is, in, in the natural, the vine and the root doesn't, doesn't produce the fruit. It is always the branch that produces the fruit. The branch has to be abiding in the vine and in the root and tapping from the source of the root in order for it to be able to produce fruit. But nevertheless, the fruit is produced through the branch. And we are the branches. In John 15, 5, our Lord teaches us that we are the branch and He is the vine. And as we abide in Him, as being the vine, we will bear much fruit. And so the fruit that we bear is the fruit of our spirits. For our spirits have now taken upon themselves the very nature of God, the divine nature of God, for they are um, made alive with His life, with His nature, um, with His um, energy, with His ability. He gives it to us. He is, the, he is the vine. We are purely the branch. And He works it out through us. But nevertheless, it comes through our spirit. And that is why the Scripture talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at the Scripture in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. The Scripture says, But the fruit of the Spirit, now that Spirit we're talking about is the born-again human Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The very first fruit that comes out is love, which is God's nature, remember, for God is love. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such, there is no law. And the scripture is 1 John 4, 8 that says God is love. And so we can see now what, what Peter's talking about when he says we have become partakers of the divine nature. All of this that we've mentioned as the fruit of the Spirit 
is the divine nature of God. For God is love, peace, long-suffering, kindness. All of this is the nature of God. And as born-again believers who had, whose spirits have been made alive in God, in Christ, they have become partakers of His divine nature, and our spirits naturally, if we abide in Christ, will produce the fruit of that nature, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. All of that fruit is a natural production of what has happened on the inside of us. Our spirits will continue to bear that kind of fruit because that's their nature. So the nature of the spirit changes from death to life. And that is what the nature of the born-again spirit is like. It, is, it has the nature of God. And it can only do that. It, it has no other capacity. Remember, we're born again of incorruptible seed. It cannot be corrupted. And so the spirit of the born-again believer is life and light. The Bible teaches us we have become light in the Lord. And so our spirits can only produce this fruit. Our spirits cannot produce anything else except this because they are only they are created in the image of God. Um, they're born of light and born of life. Um, so that is what it means to be spiritually alive. It means to have the nature of God. Um, and there's nothing else there, just the nature of God. Now, as we get into the, the teaching, we'll understand why it is that some Christians display more fruit than others. Both Christ, all Christians have, this is the only nature they have in their spirits. They have nothing else. There's no other, there's no hidden aspect to their spirit once they're saved. Remember we said, the spirit of man can only be in one of two states. It can only be either spiritually alive or spiritually dead. It has no uh, third option, and it has no capacity to be both spiritually alive and spiritually dead at the same time. It's impossible. The spirit of man is either spiritually alive or spiritually dead, one or the other. And so once we come into the kingdom, we are com our spirits are completely alive, 100%. And they only have the divine nature of God. And they can only produce the fruit of God, which is love, joy, peace, all of that fruit of the Spirit. And so now we want to have a look at what is then spiritual death. Um, and again, uh, we need to understand that spiritual death, that's where, as I mentioned earlier, we, when we look at spiritual death, the natural thinking kicks in. And we think, okay, well, that spirit is just dead. It lies, it, it, it's in the body, but it's, you know, immobile. It can't do anything because it's spiritually dead. But that is not the case at all. As when we become spiritually alive, we partake and we become, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? We partake of the divine nature of God, but that becomes our nature, the, the nature of the spirit. Forget about the rest of the inner man uh, and, the, and the outward man. We're talking purely the spirit of man. So when we become uh, spiritually alive, we, we now have trans transitioned to become God's nature. God's nature is now our nature, the nature of our spirit. In the same manner, one who is spiritually dead has taken on the nature of someone else. It is not a case of that is the spirit is now has become immobile. Not at all. 
all that has happened is that the that nature of that spirit takes on a different nature. So as the born-again spirit takes on the nature of God, so the, the, the spirit of that, that one who is dead takes on the nature of its father. Now, who's that? Let's have a look at the scripture. Um, the scripture is in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 44. This is our Lord Jesus speaking. And he says, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. And so every single unbeliever on the earth has taken on the nature of their father, the devil. I didn't say that the Lord did. And that's in fact the truth of the matter. Jesus doesn't lie. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 teaches us that Satan is the God of this world. And so every single unbeliever um, falls into the realm of the kingdom of darkness. Falls into uh, Satan's realm which is as the God of this world. And he has become their father. And they take on his nature. And so spiritual death is in fact the nature of the devil. Spiritual death is what every single unbeliever's spirit's nature is like. And all it really is, is everything that's opposite to the life of God. So whereas... Uh, um, Satan is a murderer. God imparts life. Satan imparts death. Satan is a liar. God imparts truth. God only speaks the truth. Satan can only speak lies. Well, he can speak truth as well. But when our Lord said, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is the father of life. Um, he is a liar and the father of it. And so that is the nature of the devil. Um, there's two aspects of his nature is that of a murderer and a liar. Um, mentioned in this passage of scripture. Obviously he has a lot more aspects to his nature as well. But that is what spiritual death is. Spiritual death is the spirit of that individual takes upon themselves the nature of their father. And the father of all unbelieving spirits on the earth is the devil. Now they don't like to hear that. A lot of Christians battle to get their minds around that, but that is in fact the truth of the matter. That every unbeliever on the planet today has their father, the devil, and they, their spirits. Forget about the rest of the, 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 the parts of man, because that's a different topic and we've dealt with certain aspects. We're dealing today only with the spirit. Their spirit takes on the nature of the devil. And so whatever his nature is, that becomes their nature. And that's what our, our Lord said. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Now, when our Lord was speaking to people there, he was talking to everybody, obviously. But he was talking to some very religious people. Uh, and he was calling them uh, sons of the devil. And that's just the truth of the matter. That every single unbeliever has become a son of 
the devil. Um, and then the nature that is on the inside of them is that of death. And that is purely their, their nature. Just like a born-again believer, the spirit of the born-again believer can only produce the divine nature of God, for it has no other resource in it. So the spirit of the unbeliever, spirit only I'm talking about, can only produce the nature of the devil. It has no capacity for any good. Just like the spirit of the believer has no capacity for any evil. That's, the, that's why it, the one is life and the other one is death. The one is light and the other one is darkness. In the book of Corinthians, uh, Paul teaches us, you know, what fellowship has light with darkness? Comparing believer with unbeliever. And so, you know, light and darkness are at complete opposite ends. There's no mixture. So in the spirit of man, there's no gray area. It's the spirit of man is either light and life, or it is darkness and death. And life means nature of God. Death means nature of the devil. That's the, 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 so death, spiritual death never means immobile, can't do anything. Not at all. Spiritual death means nature of the devil. Can only do that which the devil's desire is to do. That's what is inside the spirit of the unbeliever who is spiritually dead. And so we need to understand that those truths very clearly. It just helps us to understand then other truths as revealed to us in Scripture. Um, and we get a clearer insight. And so that is what um, spiritual death is. Our Lord Jesus gave us a little bit more insight. Uh, with regards to spiritual death in Mark's Gospel chapter 7 beginning in verse 20 our Lord speaking and he said and now he's he's describing the heart the spirit of the unbeliever okay he says and he said what comes out of a man that defiles a man for from within out of the heart of men proceed Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. Remember we saw murders uh, when our Lord said, um, you know, of your father the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning. Murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. And so our Lord is just painting a very vivid picture for us of what the spirit of the unbeliever looks like. That's it. it has, there's nothing good there at all. It has no capacity for any good. It only has capacity for um, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murder, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. It only has capacity for evil. That is what spiritual death is. Evil. Nature of the, of the devil. Spiritual life is good. Nature of God. And that is the, the, the difference between the this one who is spiritually alive and one who is spiritually dead. One who is spiritually dead has an evil nature. They have the nature of the devil. 
That's all they have. That spirit that dwells within all unbelievers. It matters not how good an unbeliever that person is. And with our believing me, there's some very good unbelievers on the planet. Um, and we dealt with that when we dealt with the, in the series of the conscience of man. And that explains to us how it is possible that one who is actually evil on the inside of them can still do good acts. In, yeah, our Lord, in, in the conscience, he said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good, give good gifts to those who love him? Um, and so, you know, Jesus was saying it's quite possible for that evil-natured person to do good. Why is that? Because we saw that there is such a thing as a conscience, and there is such a thing as a soul, and, so, and there is such a thing as a will. So it's not only the spirit that drives man, but what we're saying today is that it, this is now the major part of man, and it is the spirit of man. And the spirit of man can only exist in one of two states. Either it is alive or it is dead. If it is alive, it has the nature of God, and only the nature of God. There's no hidden part there that's still a little part of the devil. Not at all. It only has the nature of God. And exactly in the same manner, one who is spiritually dead only has evil residing in it. It only has the nature of the devil. It doesn't have any capacity for good at all. And so that is why we have to be born again. Because we have, God has to remove that uh, evil nature and replace it with his, his nature. And that's why we have to be born again. And that's why the book of Romans teaches us when we're born again, our old man dies. That old spirit that was evil and had the nature of the devil dies. God does away with it. And he replaces it with the new. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. And all things have become new. And all things are of God. That all things is all things in the spirit, in our spirit. Our spirit is completely uh, transformed, takes on the nature of God. But before we were saved, we all, each one of us, had the nature of death, that is, of the devil. And so that is uh, the difference between being spiritually alive and spiritually dead. Don't think of it in natural terms, because you'll get confused. It's not like that at all. So it's not a case of one who's spiritually dead, their spirits are just you know, immobile and can't do anything. Not at all. One who's spiritually dead has a different nature, a nature that is completely opposite to the nature of God. That, because light is, and darkness are complete opposites. And that we have to understand as well. And that will just help you to understand where we are. And so when we come to the kingdom of God, we take on the nature of God. And that, that's a very important truth for us to understand because it, once we understand that that's who we really are, that we can then start to do that which we need to do in order to begin to bear the fruit of that spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. So what causes spiritual death? Um, we've identified that everybody on the planet is either in one of two conditions. They're either spiritually alive or spiritually dead. Um, and we've identified what that means, what it does mean to be spiritually alive, what does it mean to be spiritually dead. But now we want to know what causes spiritual death. I mean, where does this thing, spiritual death, actually come from? Because we know what causes spiritual life. We have to be born again. 
And so when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, we, are, we were dead and we are made alive in Christ. So we know what causes us to become spiritually alive. But what causes man to become spiritually dead? Um, and so let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 16 and verse 17. Um, because when God created Adam and Eve, they were spiritually alive. There was no spiritual death there at all. Their spirits were alive to God. Um, had been given, had, God had imparted His life to them and given them His light. Remember we saw in John the Gospel, in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And so the life of God had been imparted to Adam and Eve, and they had spiritual life. Their spirits had the nature of God. So what happened? Remember what our Lord said to them. To Genesis 2 verse 16, the scripture says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so Adam and Eve partook of the fruit. We know that. When they did, they died straight away. Because Adam and Eve were under law. Now, there's something which just an aside for us to understand, but as a concept we do need to understand. As born-again believers, we are no longer under law, we are under grace. And under grace... All things are lawful for us. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 teaches us that. There's another passage of Scripture as well. That Paul tells us, all things are lawful for us under the new covenant. For we're under grace, we're not under law. Um, and we'll, under, we'll get to explain that concept maybe later in the teaching. But I wanted to get across the point that those who are under law are not under grace. You cannot be under law and under grace at the same time. You're either under law or under grace. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were under law. They were not under grace. And the only law that they had was this one. God had given them one commandment. That everything else that was lawful for them to do. God never told them there was anything else they were not allowed to do. And so as far as the, the law was concerned for Adam and Eve, there was just one commandment given to them, this one. Now God said to them, when you partake of this, if you partake of this fruit, of which I told you not to, in that day you will surely die. So there was no grace there. Translated, God says, the moment you, because we know that Adam and Eve sinned, and sin is disobedience to God. That's the, the, the definition of sin, disobeying the commandment of God. Here they'd received a commandment, and God said, if you disobey me here on this commandment, you will die. And that day you will surely die. So they disobeyed, and they died instantly. Their, their spirits died. So their spirits had the nature of God right up until the point where they took that fruit off the tree. The moment they did that, there was an act of disobedience. When they committed that act of disobedience, their spirits died. 
When that's, now, when that, that, what that meant is the spirits had the nature of God, now took upon themselves the nature of who? The devil. Why is that? Because they bowed their knee to Satan. Satan was the, the, the tempter. And he came to Eve and he said, you know, God's you know, he lied, you're not going to die. You'll become like God. And Satan, who is a liar, lied. Eve believed the lie, Adam didn't believe the lie. You can go read it. In um, the epistle, the Bible says that Eve was deceived, Adam wasn't. And so Adam knew that uh, Satan had lied, but Adam was prepared to take, uh, pay the price because he wanted to become like God. Um, anyway, so what happened was, the moment that they, they ate of the, well, not ate of the tree, the moment they took the, the fruit from the tree, uh, that act is what killed their spirits. And when their spirits died, what happened was their spirits now transitioned from light to darkness, from life to death, from the nature of God to the nature of the devil. They went completely, they flipped around. And so now they were completely separated from God. Light could no longer fellowship with darkness. Light can't fellowship with darkness. The two just do not mix. And so that's exactly what happened there. Their spirits died instantly. And Adam and Eve took upon themselves the nature of the devil. Now, the reason they took upon themselves the nature of the devil was because they rejected the commandment of God and uh, accepted the suggestion of the devil. And so when they did that, they said, God, you're not our God anymore. This one is now our God. We are going to listen to him and we will obey him. We're not going to listen to you anymore. And so God said, okay, well, that's what's going to happen to you now. Now you're going to take on the nature of your new father, the devil. And so that's exactly what happened. They took upon themselves his nature, the nature of the devil. And Satan became the god of this world. For Adam was, in fact, the god of this world. Um, God had given Adam dominion over the earth. Now, when our Lord was tempted by Satan in the, de in, in the desert... Remember, there was one temptation that Satan put across to the Lord, which was to offer him all the kingdoms of the world. Let's look at the scripture and then we can comment on it. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. Scripture says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And so the world had legally become Satan's. The, this world, he is called the God of this world. And he, he became the legal God of this world when Adam and Eve bowed their knee to a new God. So they rejected God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And they bowed their knee to their new God, who was Satan. And so he legally became the God of this world. And that is why he could legally offer this temptation to the Lord. And the Lord didn't dispute this, his, his claim. For what does he say? He says, for this has been delivered to me, talking about the authority and the glory of the, of the kingdoms of the world, everything being delivered to Satan. And he can give it to whomever he likes. And Jesus didn't say, no, you're, you're a liar, that's not true. Jesus acknowledged. 
that he was telling the truth. Otherwise, it would not have been a legitimate temptation. It was legit, legitimate. Jesus was being tempted by the devil. And so Jesus acknowledged that that was true, that Satan is, in fact, the god of this world, and all in this world are subject to him. They are his subjects. Now, the reason for that is because, as we said, Adam and Eve chose to obey him as God. And so he became the God of this world. Now, and they took upon themselves the nature of their new God, um, as our Lord Jesus mentioned to us in, in the Gospel, Gospel of John. Now, when Satan became the God of this world, things became, uh, became different because Satan is not like God. And as a ruler, for he is the ruler of this world, as a ruler, he is a very cruel ruler. And whereas God allows mankind to exercise their free will as, as God, he allows mankind to exercise their free will. Satan doesn't allow mankind to exercise their free will. Not at all. Because you know, people can, would say, well, you know, Adam and Eve <coughs> bowed their knee to, to, to um, Satan. All right, I get that. So why couldn't they just say, all right, we made a mistake. We want to bow our knee to, to God now and go back and serve God. And so Satan, we don't want you anymore. We want to be under God's rule. Um, they couldn't do that. Because Satan wouldn't allow that to happen. And God couldn't allow that to happen. Why is that? Because God recognizes Satan's authority in the earth. Mankind had made Satan the god of, the, of this world. And so God couldn't now go in and take that authority away from Satan because man had given it to Satan. Remember, the devil said to Jesus, all of this has been delivered to me and I can give it to whoever I want to. Talking about the authority in the earth and over the glory, glories of the, of the kingdoms of the world. Um, and so it had been given to him. God couldn't come and just take it away because that would mean God would be a thief, really. And Satan knows that. Satan is a, a legalist deluxe. He knows his rights. And that's what... And so he knew that now he's actually in a good position because I have become legally the God of this world. And God can't do anything about it. And these are my subjects. There was only Adam and Eve at that time, by the way. Um, but God can't do anything about that. They are now my subjects. They are subject, sub, subject to me. I'm their God now. They take upon themselves my nature. They have become like I am. And I will not allow them to change allegiance. Because that's what Adam and Eve did. They changed allegiance. They were under the, the rulership of God. And they rejected God as being their, their God. And they changed allegiance to now accept uh, Satan as being their God. And God allows that and allowed that to happen because God allows mankind to have a free will. He never overrides the free will of man in this life. And so God allowed Adam and Eve to make their choice. They decided what they wanted to do. But now that they had come into the kingdom of darkness and they realized their mistake very quickly because, you know, they... they, they that were sewing fig leaves together and they were hiding away from God, they realized things have gone horribly wrong. You know, we've really messed up. 
But they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't say, all right, well, Lord, we made a mistake. We're coming back to you now. Satan, we, we, don't, we reject you as God. We now are bowing our knee to God once again. They couldn't do that because their new God doesn't allow any of his subjects to exercise free will. They have no choice in the matter. And so that is the way that Satan runs this life. Uh, and runs this age and runs this world is that he runs it as a dictator um, and he does not allow mankind to exercise their free will and that is his legal right God cannot force the change and God can't step in if God could do it he would have done it believe you me uh, if he could have said all right Adam now do you want to come back to me yes okay you can come back to me Satan they've decided they want to be back in my kingdom so you're out of the picture now um, and everything would have been restored because God's God, he can do that kind of thing but God cannot transgress his own laws that he's put in place and so he would never have gone and just taken that kingdom away Satan's subjects away from him because they had of their own choice uh, and so God that's the, the spiritual law put into place is that when, Satan, when Adam and Eve bowed their knee to Satan he became their God and God Satan had legal right over them and God no longer had legal access to them. They were no longer in God's kingdom. God, God's hands were tied. Okay, so he couldn't do anything about it. And so let's have a look at what um, Satan is like. Remember we said to him, he, whereas God allows man to exercise their free will and change allegiance, Satan doesn't allow that uh, because he's, he's a dictator. And so we, the scripture we can look at is Isaiah chapter 14, beginning at verse 4. This is God describing Satan. Um, and the scripture says, That you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon is in fact Satan. And say, How the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, wicked the scepter of the ruler, he who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he who ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted and no one hinders. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, verse 16. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities. Now look at this. Who did not open the house of his prisoners. And so Satan doesn't open the house of his prisoners. And all who bow their knee to Satan become his prisoners. And he becomes their God. And he doesn't let them out. They become his captives. And so every single person on the earth who is, and, and it started with Adam and Eve, they became his prisoners. And he will not, would not allow them to exercise free will once again and change allegiance back to God. And he had every legal right to hold them because that was his legal right. And so that is how he rules as a dictator and as a, a jailer, really. And so God had to do something in order to redeem man. Now, mankind 
You're going to touch on it here. Yeah. I think we're running out of time. I'm going to just finish off with this one particular point and then I'll get into the next point on the, on the next teaching. And so just stay with Adam and Eve. Forget about the rest of mankind. But the rest of mankind does fall into that category because every single person on the planet um, who doesn't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior bows their knee to Satan and Satan becomes their God and they take upon themselves the nature of the devil. Now when they do, they have now, of their own free will, and we'll get to it in the rest of the teaching, but as an act of their own free will, every single person who dies spiritually, because not everybody does die spiritually. There are children who give their hearts to the Lord before uh, the age of accountability and they are, they remain in the kingdom of God. They just transition from being under law to being under grace. But nevertheless, all who pass the age of accountability um, and are still under law at that time die spiritually. When they do, they bow their knee to Satan. He becomes their God. As an act of their free will, they bow their knee to Satan because they, they transgress the command of God. And so they reject God. They accept Satan. Satan becomes their God. When that happens, their spirits die. Their spirits take on the nature of their new father, the devil. And their spirits become what our Lord explained to us, what the, the state of the spirit of unbelievers are. And so that is the state of every single person in the earth and was the state of every single person in the earth from the time of Adam. And there was no remedy for that. Because remember we said, and we saw in Isaiah, he doesn't let Satan, once you come into his kingdom, he doesn't let you out. He does not allow any of his subjects to exercise free will. Uh, once they're his, they're his. And he holds on to them. They're his for all eternity. Because as he is cast into the lake of fire and brimstone in the second death, so are all of his subjects cast in with him. That includes every angel that has followed him and every unbeliever that has followed him. But, so how does God solve this problem? Because he has to look at his creation that does want to change allegiance and come back into his kingdom. He has to make a provision for them to be able to do that, but he's got to do it legally. So how does he do that? He does it through Jesus. He has to do it through Jesus. And so Jesus did so much for us. We, we, we look at the, uh, how sins are washed in the blood of the Lamb, and we've been given spiritual life, you know, in, in that he took upon ourselves his death. But there's this other aspect as well that Jesus did when he went to the cross. And look, what, that's one of the reasons why the Bible teaches us in the book of Corinthians that had the rulers of this world understood what Jesus was doing, they would never have crucified him. They wouldn't have touched him with a barge pole because Jesus was coming in like a Trojan horse, really. If you know the story about the Trojan horse, that's really what God was doing with Jesus. Satan took Jesus, uh, but when he took him, he took him illegally. But look at the scripture that, that just... Because now, God needs to be able to redeem the captives from the kingdom of, of darkness. In order for him to do it, he's got to pay a price. A ransom has to be paid. And a ransom is paid in order to free captives. That is what a ransom is paid. In the old days, there used to be pirates and they used to capture uh, wealthy people and hold them for ransom. It happens today even. You get the, the um, terrorists. They, they, they take people and they hold them for ransom and then people have to pay a ransom in order to get that person released. 
And that's what Jesus did for us. He paid the price, the ransom for us to be, be able to be released from the kingdom of darkness. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, the scripture says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And so Jesus had to give, pay the price in order for us to be ransomed. Now, not that uh, Satan then took that price and he kept it for himself. No, that ransom had to be met to meet God's legal requirements because God is in charge of everything. Even Satan bows his knee to God, he has to. And so in order for God's uh, law to be uh, overridden, that the ransom had to be paid. And so Jesus went and paid the ransom so that the captives held by Satan could in fact be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that's the difference between the two. Satan would never allow anyone to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. He, he, the Bible teaches us that the God of this world blinds the mind of the unbeliever so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. So his whole intention is to keep everybody in darkness. And he, he'll never allow anybody of their own free will to give their hearts to Jesus, not at all. But what he, he has now, and he, he has that legal right, except for the ones whom the Lord has ransomed. Now the Lord has ransomed everybody, but those who choose of their own free will, God, I want to give my heart to you. Now, he, now God can do something about it because His Son has paid the ransom. And so we can be set free as, as captives of the God of this world. And we do want to continue along this line as to how it is that uh, we incur spiritual death. But uh, we, you know, we've touched on the fact that um, how it originally happened. Because Adam and Eve were spiritually alive. And they became spiritually dead. The reason that happened was because they changed allegiance from uh, bowing their knee to God to bowing their knee to Satan. And he became the God of this world. He became their God. They took upon him their, his nature. And he would not let them change. And Jesus had to go and pay the price. And he paid our ransom so that we could be redeemed from that darkness and be brought into the kingdom of light. And we're going to end the teaching on that particular point today. Amen.